Hi, I'm Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. This is a reminder that we're going on tour next summer. Yes, that's right. We're going on tour. The Living Undeterred U.S. Tour 2022. We're leaving on May 9th next summer. We're going to every state and we're raising a million dollars. That's the plan to change the narrative on mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. We need your help though. I cannot do this alone. I know there's a lot of people out there interested in this uh, project of ours. You can go to our website, www.livingundeterred.com. We need volunteers. We need state partnerships. We need sponsors. We need as many people as we can to get out there and help those people that need help to change the narrative on mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. Again, go to livingundeterred.com and click on the Living Undetoured icon, and all the information is there. Again, thank you very much for the support, and as always, keep living undeterred. Hello, this is Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. Welcome to today's episode with uh, Jay Millar. He's from Westminster, Colorado. And I've had an opportunity to speak with Jay a few times. And we met like I have most of my new friendships on social media, specifically LinkedIn. And the beauty of the relationships I'm meeting is that sometimes you get drug into conversation. Sometimes somebody makes a post and you're like, well, I got a comment, you know. And I know you and I uh, hooked up through someone else's conversation. I think you joined in, I joined in, and then I went to your profile and I said, hey, this guy's got some things that are aligned with me. Uh, you're married 25 years to Debbie. You have three boys. Uh, I, I'm, um, I've got some of that going for me. I have the three boys, although one of my boys is gone. Uh, as you know, Seth died from a heroin overdose, so I have two boys. And my wife, uh, I'm not sure if you were aware of this, but my wife passed away 90 days ago. So I don't have the wife part, but I, we were happily married for 21 years. So, you know, I look at, I look at what you're doing to um, bring to the forefront very important conversations that quite honestly, Jay, I think we're afraid of discussing for many reasons. Um, cancel culture, uh, I hate to even say white privilege, but... You know, there's things that I think when we, you and I start talking about what we're going to talk about today, people are going to say, what, you guys have problems? Come on. I mean, you're, you're white middle-aged men living in America. You know, what, what can be so wrong? And you've identified there's lots of issues. <laughs> and uh, if you look at some t statistics, I think you would agree that uh, they're not going in the best direction. So with that, I'm going to introduce my good friend, Jay Millar. And Jay, why don't you kind of start a little bit about you, about your... Um, your My Virtual Dad project that you've you've initiated that I think is an awesome concept that's got a lot of room for for growth uh, and there you go so that's a that's an introduction to you and um, the stage is yours man all right Jeff thanks for having me here it's good to see you again uh, we talked a couple months ago and yeah we met we were both uh, connected with Millennial Manhood as well in that podcast with uh, yes. with Yavitsa um, and yep. that's that's really the audience I'm talking to and it doesn't matter black white Hispanic you know whatever the race uh, that we're talking about. I think uh, men are in grave danger at this point in time in history. There's a really unique thing going on here now that we need to be aware of. So, but let me back up a little bit. So yeah, I'm a founder of My Virtual Dad. I still have a day job. I'm still in technology sales. This is a passion project. And I've uh, started mentoring. I've been mentoring men for 20 plus years. But uh, with the pandemic, I was forced <laughs> to go online. We started meeting via Zoom and things like that. But I grew up in a home with domestic violence and alcoholism. So my parents divorced when I was age 10. Um, and so I really didn't have a father speaking into my life. My father passed away uh, 24 years ago. So um, never had a father speaking into my life. And I, you know, that plants the seeds of anger a little bit in any man. Again, it doesn't matter what race you are. If, if your dad's not showing up. Right. You don't feel worthy. You're like, you know, my 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 talk track was why is why is beer more important than me, Dad? You know, why I think I'm a pretty cool kid. Why wouldn't you want to hang out with me? You know, <clears throat> pardon me. And so, um, you know, and then you know, in my in my teens, and you know, figuring out my teens, and I'm the first uh, first person in my family to go through go to college. So, joined the army, got the GI Bill, uh, paid for college on my own, and and it was uh, I think my junior year in college. So I was. I think 22, 23, 
uh, after my military experience. And I just, this was the days before YouTube, Jeff. <laughs> so I mm-hmm. really feel very fortunate I saw this. I couldn't just go look it up and click on it like you can today. Right. I heard Lou right. Holtz, who was then head football coach at the University of Notre Dame, say something that changed my life. He said, there's only three things that will change you from where you're at today to where you'll be five years from now. And that's the books you read, the people you meet, and the dreams you dream. And I internalized that to mean, okay, I can fill this gap in this void uh, created by my father. And it's not like every father is perfect. I'm not perfect. I've got three boys. I'm not the perfect father. But, you know, sometimes you look around and, and you're like, where the hell were you, Dad? You know, how about a little heads up before I sign that bad you know, student loan or that, you know, something right, that got me right. into a ditch for a long, long time, right. who you'd like to have an advisor. And usually you want that to be your dad, you know, your dad's a good source of that. So that was my talk track. And so I, I said, okay, I can, I can read good books, you know, that not everything needs to be new and, and flashy. There's, there's good solid financial principles. And I know you come from a, you know, financial yeah. planning background, <laughs> there's good blocking and tackling. It's not sexy. It's like good nutrition. You just have to do it. So read good books that have stood the test of time. Seek mentors. And I never sought one mentor. I got a, I had a collection of mentors. Like, sure, who's good at this? Or who's, you know, who's, who, who runs their family the way I'd like to run my family? Who, who has their finances? Who's good in their career? You know, and I would, I'd put together a tapestry of advisors. And then I started dreaming bigger than my family had dreamt before. Like, you know, we kind of like I said, there was no college expectations. There was there was nothing like that. And I started to think, you know, I can do a lot of amazing things if I if I really want to. And so those three things in that Lou Holtz quote really kind of uh, put me on the right course. And well, let me uh, give you ahead. a chance to catch your breath. For those watching this, uh, Jay just had a very uh, challenging bout with COVID, and it's good to see him back on his two feet. But I will I will jump in occasionally and give you a chance to catch your breath. Uh, because I think it's admirable that you're doing what you're doing so soon after after COVID. Uh, I want to go back to something you talked about with uh, abandonment issues or neglect from a father, or in this case, you know, a dad, a male figure. You know, you were presented an opportunity like I was when my son died, our son died, uh, and, and even even with my wife recently, where you have the two roads metaphor, you know, and I write this in my book and I'm, I'm adamant about talking about, you know, every day we have two roads. Some are little tiny roads, some are massive highways. And what made you pick the road of better and not bitter? Um, I knew I wanted uh, to create a life exactly the opposite in which I grew up. But that's a great question, Jeff, because I've had that conversation with many friends, right? Because you could have easily drank yourself. You could have easily gotten into drugs. You could have easily dropped out of college. You could have easily had used this as a crutch for Jay Millar to self-destruct, but you didn't. You, you've done just the antithesis of that. I, I just Where did that come from? I just didn't want the drama. I think the, 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 the core of that was just not wanting to have the drama and the, the unknown in my life, right? Um, and now I, I can't put a finger on where that came from, Jeff. I think it's a great question because I have a friend who tells me this because we talk about my my personal mission with my virtual dad to, to help men lead a more confident and peaceful life just with a little guidance. Most of it's from dad deprivation is the term that I use. They didn't have a dad around, you know, not everybody's like that. Sometimes you have an overbearing dad whose expectation yeah. you can never live up to, right? And Correct. That's, that's, that's a good point. You bring that up because a lot of people watching this probably grew up in that sports family or the academic family, and they feel like I can never be good enough for my parents. And that that can, I think, make you rebel more of like, OK, well, then if I'm not good enough, then screw it. I'll just do whatever right. I want. Right. But right. I don't know. Uh, so my friend tells the story. He goes, OK, there's. Uh, there's there's an alcoholic father and he had two boys. One, you know, one became an alcoholic and one, you know, uh, took the other road and, and he created a mission and he wanted to create a life exactly the opposite. Where that comes from, I think, is a question I'll be pondering the rest of my life, Jeff, because Me too. Uh, how, you know, was there a formative moment? I was embarrassed at times, um, you know, uh, just you know, around my house with some of the drama and some of the things that, you know, I didn't want to bring friends over when right. I was, when I was in like elementary school because, okay, well, what's going to be happening? What's the, 
you know, you're walking on eggshells. What what kind of day is dad having, right? And Yeah, um, exactly. And so I think it's like, you know, I was just drawn to being over at those families that I that, that looked kind of comfortable and peaceful and they enjoy, you know, they laughed a lot and they were being around and loved being around each other. I was just drawn to that. And I don't know where it comes from. I guess it's just part of my innate person. But uh, I wish I had a formula to say, hey, if you do this, this and this, you can get there. But I, I, I got to be honest, I don't have that answer. You know, for many people that <clears throat> find inspiration or motivation or, or whatever term you want to use, the default thesis is a personal God. You know, I'm being driven by a higher power. Uh, that presentation never formulated in my mind because I'm agnostic. So I don't, I'm not, I don't believe in what what mainstream would say a, a personal God. Um, notwithstanding, that doesn't mean that I'm not spiritual. So I think it'd be easy for me to say, well, I'm driven by a higher power. And I think a lot of my writings I've been doing, a lot of my readings I've been doing are my... Um, books I've read and podcasts I've done, is that there's something inside of all of us. And some of us have found it, like you and I have, for our own unique personal reasons, and it works for us. And some haven't found it. What advice would you give to people that are struggling with trauma, addiction, substance abuse, you know, depression, anxiety, and they haven't found that thing yet that you and I have kind of accidentally found? And I can't describe it either, Jay. I have no clue where all my passion comes from to live an inspired life. I don't, and I'm not going to just subscribe it to something because somebody told me yeah. to. So, so I guess you are just as curious as I am. And where do you think this is going to lead you as you start peeling back the layers of your life? You know, what, what do you, what do you hope to find that you could share with other people to help them become better people? Well, I, I think there's kind of three or two, two phases. One is kind of dealing with your past in the sense that, it took me a long time. And then I've got a 90 day boot camp, and I'm not trying to, people can go look at it at myvirtualdad.net. So I've got a 90 day boot camp of something that kind of like, you know, one name I could have made is like, shit, I wish my dad had told me, you know, when I was getting yeah. out of college, right? But right. I just call it my virtual dad. I could have been a little more edgy. But I think the first part of it, Jeff, is thinking about your past because it took me till I was about 40 to understand that I was not alone. So I'm going through domestic violence and, al and alcohol, uh, alcoholism in the 70s. And that was a wildly different time, right? Things were taboo. Oh, yeah. You didn't talk about them, right? Right. Uh, the last night my father lived at our house, he was going after my mother and they were having a fight. He knew the divorce was coming. And my older brother was 14 and he had just learned some wrestling moves in gym mm. class, right? And so he pinned my dad down in a full Nelson. And I remember I heard we had a we had a ranch house. I was in the basement. I run up the stairs and I can I get to like floor level and I can look through the railing and my 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 brother's pushing my father's head down on the floor. And and my dad's like, I'm going to kill you when I get out. You know, when I get up, I'm going to kill you. Right. Wow. And um, my brother just held him down and called the cops and. You know, it was like a disco in our house. We, it was the 70s. We had a bunch of mirrors in there and the, 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 the police lights out in the, the driveway and in the, in the front of the house. How old were you again? I was 10. Holy I was 10. Crap. So here's the, here's the funny thing, though, Jeff. The next morning, we didn't talk about it. I never talked about that again with my mom. It was like we, that brushed, it under, surprising. we brushed it under the rug. Yep. Our friends asked, hey, what happened? You know, there, I saw the cops at your house. Nothing. It was just taboo. We didn't talk about my father's alcoholism. We didn't talk. And my right. father never hurt me physically. Yeah, right. He went after my mom and my older brother was, were his targets. So uh, that, that, that defined, that started to build a foundation of, as I say, a, a living undeterred uh, person was kind of being developed because you've, you looked at these things as, okay, do I want to be that dad being held down by my son being choked? Right. You know, why is this happening to my dad and my brother? And so, you know, you did what a lot of people wouldn't do is you decided to avoid that situation by living a, a healthier or better life, you know, lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people would have that anger would have built up and then they would have developed anger issues and they would have felt that how to deal with this is to fight back literally, you know, to fight back. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's exactly what I thought. But I, I kept going on with I didn't talk to anybody about it through college. 
I talked to my brother about it, but that was about it. I didn't even talk to my mom about it. And um, I was at a retreat, and I was, I think I was 43, Jeff. And um, it was business leaders. I got, I got sponsored to, uh, to be in this leadership and in leadership coaching. And this wonderful uh, uh, coach, and he was the facilitator. His name's Vance Caesar. He's out of uh, Southern California. He took us up to his cabin in Idlewild, and there's like 18 guys, you know, most of them very, very successful in business, own companies or are highly successful and we went around the room and we did introductions and we got around the room and, and after we all finished, Vance said, hey, I want, I want to see a show of hands. How many of you have been affected by alcoholism with your, with your family? And over 80% of us raised our hand. And, and as silly as it sounds, Jeff, that was an epiphanal moment for me where I, I just shed a lot of weight and I said, I'm not alone because so that would be going back to your, your original question. What, what, what advice would I have to those who are going through addictions and depression? A, you're not alone. You are right. absolutely not alone. And you right. might feel this shroud of shame like you can't talk about it. I felt that. But I, I had other outlets, I guess. So it didn't it didn't, you know, totally engulf me. But you're not alone and you're worthy. I would say, you know, I didn't feel worthy. Like I said, uh, when when your dad doesn't show up, a lot of times there's just a wound of, am I not good enough? So, uh, you know, uh, I realized at that moment that I wasn't alone. And then then I then I translated that into, well, if you're not alone, you're also worthy, right? Just because your father doesn't affirm you, and this isn't all about daddy issues. You can you can have a teacher that made fun of you because you can spell M I S S I S S I P P I like the rest of the class when you right. were in second grade. You could have a wound from a coach or uh, somebody who said you couldn't do something. I had a high school counselor who uh, laughed at me when I said, "Hey, I want to try to get I want to try to get college scholarships," right? We get mm-hmm. wounds from all, you know, it could be a sibling. It could be, it could be an employer. Um, but everybody is worthy of great things. And, and Jeff, I'll answer your question. I mean, I'm not agnostic. I'm a very faithful man. And, and uh, yep. growing, up, about that. growing up, I had, I had this belief that, you know, God created me special. And God knew how many hairs were in my head. And God had a, a plan for my life that was to prosper me and not to harm me. I had that. And, and that was through my mom and my grandmother, uh, the, the faith that they had. And I believed that early on. So I think that all fits in with, you know, what was, you know, uh, my, my mission and how I, you know, tried to uh, try to live out my life because I had that hope. And I think that's where that hope came from. Yeah. And I, I've kind of learned on this journey when I especially when I wrote my book, uh, I actually had chapters that I had allocated to, you know, uh, God and religion and stuff. And, and coming from a, a from an agnostic's viewpoint, in that, the end of the day, behavior trumps belief, in, in my opinion. So if Jay Millar is just a, a good person, a good dad, hard worker, honest, trustworthy, contributes to society, volunteers, charitable work. You know, has his vices. Maybe he drinks brandy. Maybe he goes to the casino once in a while. Nothing earth shattering. And and you're an overall nice guy. I really don't care what what you believe in because your behavior your behavior trumps everything. But if if you are on the other side of the fence, you know, again, I base everything on behavior. So I I, I tend to at 55 years old not spend a lot of time on trying to understand people's belief structures. I just want to know what you're like. And I know jerks that are Catholics. I know jerks that are atheists. And so it doesn't really matter what you believe in if, if you're a jerk. So again, I think I think here's two people today that are helping people. Uh, one's a, a man of God. One is, you know, homeless right now when it comes to that. <laughs> I don't really hang my hat anywhere. Uh, but we're both doing good. We both are in a good emotional place. We both have uh, family that loves us. We... We embrace life as an opportunity, not as some chaotic, you know, fiery ball of death that's spinning through Earth or the universe that every day is just this, you know, another horrible experience. You know, you and I both have plenty of reasons to say, you know what, screw it. I'm going to get drunk tonight. I can't handle this, you know, but but we don't. And so I want to ask you something. I make a comment on something you made that I I thought was awesome. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to articulate it in my words, and I know you said the same thing, but we don't own someone else's thoughts. And that's something that I, when I was going through some rough patches with uh, some of my personal issues with alcoholism and my gambling issues, 
you know, I, people made comments about me, especially drinking, you know, and, or people had judgments about me. Even even doing the Living Undeterred podcast, I've had people say, why don't you just let, why don't you just let your son die? Why don't you just, why do you keep talking about this all the time? You know, and somebody once said, you know, Jeff, you don't own anyone else's thoughts about you. And I think as I deal with my personal grief and per- personal suffering, I've, I've learned to say, you know what? I don't. If Jay Millar thinks I'm an idiot for not believing in something, then that's just coming from Jay, Jay Millar. I have no ownership of that thought. Right. And, and that helps me deal with uh, maybe people, maybe the fear of things like imposter syndrome and those things that we run through as humans that we worry about what other people think. I think we spend a lot of time in those arenas that aren't productive to increasing mental well-being, right? I agree. I agree. And I, I, I applaud you for what you're doing. And, you know, like I said, I, I shared with you my faith background. The whole, and my virtual data, whether I'm talking to anybody, I really don't care where your faith comes from. Um, right. Or if you have any, because I think there's so many wounded. And I think, you know, we, we talked about men are in danger. Um, I think you do have to believe in something bigger than yourself. And it can be whatever you, whatever it is no that question. you decide to. That, yep. And that's my encouragement to men. Um, I joke the, the problem with Christianity is Christians. I mean, there's the, some of the meanest <laughs> people I know are Christians. So, um, you know, I don't lead with it. I mean, I've, I'm talking to men who've, you know, their, their, their mom passed away when they were, you know, 16 from breast cancer. And they're like, I hate you, God. Why would you why would you do that? So I don't even lead with that. I'm unapologetic and talking about my faith and why, because right. I have very good reasons. But right. I'll tell you what, I agree with you. I'd rather I'd rather meet with anybody whose actions are speaking much more loudly than whatever they say their beliefs are, because that's what's going to make the world go around. And that's what's going to make the world better. And actually, strong beliefs have been the root of many evils in society. Yeah. Um, people that are, you know, uh, on factions on one side, but they're militant or they're, or they're very strong. Their belief is so strong that they'd, they'd be willing to strap a backpack with bombs and blow up a park with kids in it, you know, to prove a point to somebody. Right. And, and those, those beliefs can be counterproductive to humanity in, 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 you know, worse than someone not believing in anything. So, yeah, I think, I think that can go back and forth. Uh, so I want to talk about your 90 day boot camp. I want to talk about my virtual dad because, you know, I know my, my, my podcasts aren't used as a, you know, a pulpit for lack of a better term for people to come in and like sell their, their books and stuff. But your, your program is very intriguing to me. And from the simple fact that you and I've talked about it now a number of times, but I've never given you an opportunity to really tell me what you are, what's the ideology behind this? What's the methodology? How could a, how could a, and this is geared towards, again, my virtual dad. You can kind of figure out who the market is you're talking to. But how does this benefit somebody that's kind of floating out there adrift and would like to get some organization or some structure in their life? What's your 90-day boot camp all about? Uh, it's a it's a 12-week uh, cycle. It's 12 weeks. Uh, I've got I've got the uh, the lessons. Again, I created them with the pandemic. Created them online. Um, uh, so it all starts off with you know, kind of dealing with your past. I start off with the story of uh, the day Elvis died, and I'm going to a uh, and, and I was ten I was, I was about ten years old. I didn't uh, I wouldn't have remembered that date, but I do remember distinctly. Everybody kind of if you were that that age, you remember that that was kind of a big day. Yeah. Um, and I was going to a basketball camp, and I was wearing a jockstrap. Hmm. Not only was I wearing a jockstrap, I was wearing it right because two days before I tried to put it on for the first time. And I put it on backwards. I had like the supporting <laughs> element on my ass, and and, it was, and hopefully nobody nobody saw this. No, my mom saw it, and my family saw it. You know, I, I my mom gave it to me because it was a required piece of uh, gear for this basketball camp. So I, I had to go get one, oh, and I'm uh, and I ran to, and I put it on over my underwear. You know, I'm ten, right? And um, I come in backwards and my mom and my brother and my, and my family just started laughing hysterically. But I'm like, there was no picture on that, you know, and over right. time. So fast forward to when I'm like 23, I'm like, again, that was one of those dad, where the hell were you moments, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I had testicles the size of a walnut. I didn't even think that was a problem that needed fixing when you're 10, right? <laughs> well, I started off just saying, hey, you know what? And I try to be vulnerable and share every lesson. I start off with some mistake I made 
<coughs> like, hey, and you shouldn't care about Jay Millar's mistakes. Just try to use them for your own good, right? Try to try right. to take something away from them. So it all starts off with le uh, learning or, you know, dealing with your past. You might have some anger. You might ha not feel worthy. You might feel alone. You might feel ashamed. And that's like about the first four lessons. And then uh, lesson five is kind of like believing in something bigger than yourself. And I do share my faith openly there. And again, I've boiled Christianity down to two things. Love God and love your neighbor. That's it. I mean, I try to simplify right. it so I can act on it. I want to love Jeff Johnston where he's at. I want to love my neighbor where they're at. They could be sure. flying high. They could be in a ditch. Right. They could be believers. They could not be. But right. I really don't care. It's not my job to judge. God doesn't right. say in those first two things, I should judge Jeff Johnston because of something. I know I've got enough to judge myself about, so uh, I'm not worried about that. And then from there... I get into really practical steps, finances, you know, friends, taking care of yourself, managing your family. What are the things, again, I wish my dad, I could have learned from my dad as I was starting a family because... Are these individual sessions, yeah, Jay, or these group? Uh, I, I do both. It's kind of like uh, do it yourself. So you can you can download the lessons and, and take them uh, virtually. I've uploaded them. I've got a platform on my virtual dad. It's it's. It's based on a, 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 a tool called Thinkific. Not that anybody should care about that, but it's it's nice, easy five, ten minute video segments, and you can you know you can download it or you can watch it and then do some do a little bit of homework and a little introspection. Um, I also do it in small groups. Uh, I'm starting a, a pre marriage class. It's a little four week uh, class for guys that are getting married. I see a lot of a lot of hope with that group, right? Because I think that's where I felt it most viscerally is. Um, and I tell this story to the guys too. When I was about to propose to my wife, Jeff, I flinched. Huh. She said, are you ready? And I'm like, I, I flinched. And I hurt her deeply in that moment. So I'm about 27 years old, getting married. Oh, wow. And I, it wasn't about her. She's a, she, right. she is the best thing. Debbie is the best thing to ever happen in my life. Right. But I flinched because I'm like, am I going to screw this up? I don't know what a good relationship looks like. I don't know how to run my finances. My mom had filed bankruptcy a couple of times. My dad never had any money. He couldn't keep a job. I don't know how to build a career. I don't have a, you know, I don't know how to build a, a surrounding infrastructure of support with friends. And now you're ask, asking somebody to spend the rest of uh, their I, life. With you. I flinched not because of her, but because of me. Right. And we've talked about that many, many times. I did the world's worst proposal ever. I'm not going to share that story here. I just screwed up so many times that, um, so, you know, just how to how to manage your family and prioritize it and, and, and run your finance. I thought of all these things. I didn't know how to I didn't know how to do any of it. And I was scared to death. You know, what are the biggest three things the average male today is fumbling the struggling with? Uh, one, I think, is isolation, for sure. Uh, they're, they're, not, they're not reaching out. They're not connected with enough good quality folks. I'm, I'm, I'm mentoring. Uh, so I do one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. That's, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to help somebody one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and we did an inventory of, of this guy's um, friends, right? And, he, and I said, you know, you're the, average, you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Right? Uh, yeah, I've heard that. That's awesome. And we looked at his friends and... None of them had jobs. They weren't going anywhere. I was like, you know, he's a young guy. I'm like, you know, you're not going to change it overnight, but you need to take stock in that and just understand where your life is going and how to intentionally build it brick by brick. So it's really an action plan. After we kind of deal with the, the emotional stuff and a lot of it, what I've, the feedback I've gotten, it's really raw the first four weeks. Like, shoot, I didn't even know I had that pain. And I'm not trying to trudge up pain where there doesn't need to be pain I just yeah, wanted yeah. to come out the wrong way on those people that you love the most at the wrong time. So let's right. deal with that. But then we get an action plan on, yeah, here's how you prioritize your family and deal with your wife and your kids. Here's how you run your finances. Here's how you build your career. Here's how you take care of good care of yourself. Right. It's not Is all the programs here. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, it's not. All, I don't have all the answers, but it's a good it's a great compass to get you going in the right direction. Is your program geared towards any specific age bracket, age group? It's a great question. I think the ideal time to go through it would be, again, you know, between college and, you know, you're getting engaged and getting ready to be married. 
uh, there's kind of one problem with that. I've, I've, I've taken a cohort of guys that are in their, you know, 40s and 50s through it. They love it. Like they're dealing with stuff, you know, way after the fact, and they're dealing with some some regrets or some pains or some challenges, and they they loved it. But I think the ideal time is to go kind of mid twenties. Kind of the yeah. challenge with that group is they still don't even know which questions to ask. They don't even know, you know, if they need help. It's interesting you say that <clears throat> what you said a little bit ago because I was doing some research for a guest I was having on my show. Uh, Sam Gary, who was uh, one of my original podcast guests, he's, I think, 19 now, and he came out with suicidal ideation and wrote about it and has become a, he runs the Kick It For A Cause kickball tournament to raise money for suicide suicide uh, ideation, mental, illness, or, uh, mental illness issues, which I think is awesome. Yet, in doing my research, I stumbled across an article that made my jaw drop that I'm not sure if I'll term this correctly. You probably know the stat or you could you could add to this. But the largest year over year increase in a certain area of suicide. So teenagers, you know, uh, African-American women, you know, homosexuals, whatever it is, the highest year over year increase. <laughs> Ready for this? You and me, dude, white middle aged men. Yeah. And I got to thinking to myself, now, wait a minute. First of all, if you say that, people are going to think, well, hold it. Jay and Jeff, they've got, they hit the lottery. They hit the birth lottery. What the hell do they have to complain about? You know, you live in Colorado. I live in Iowa, man. Come on. You know, we're pretty protected from the ills and the, the, the violence and the, the, um, the issues that the world has. Yet, I think that same dynamic puts a tremendous amount of pressure on us because based on what you just said, then I ought to be successful, right? I ought to be happy. I ought to be perfect. And I think that that there's an ironic twist to that label that you and I have it made because the fact is that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on us. And I'm not asking for anyone's sympathy. Don't get me wrong. I don't even ask for sympathy because I've lost a son and a, and a wife uh, because I'm responsible for my own growth, not someone's sympathy. That's not going to make me better. But going back to what I said about the white middle-aged men, I don't think COVID's helping. Uh, I don't think the the expectations that we can't be depressed, we can't think about suicide because we're white middle-aged men. That stigma in and of itself needs to be shattered, needs to be discussed. All suicide is bad. All thoughts of suicide is bad. All alcoholism is bad. All op overdoses are bad. I don't care what you believe, what you think, what color you are, if you're rich or poor. None of that stuff cares either. You know, a drug doesn't know anything about you. You know, alcohol doesn't know anything about you. Um, what's your thoughts on, on, on that statistic? And have you ever heard that statistic before? Yeah, I've heard it. And I think I've heard it wrapped, uh, around kind of the opioid, uh, epidemic, huh. you know, around overdoses with that. Um, have you heard of a book, the boy crisis by Warren Farrell and, um, John Gray? I haven't, but going back to what you said about the opioid overdose, this statistic applies to suicides though. Yeah, deaths. I think, I don't know. Sometimes they'll call that an overdose. I don't know. You, you, yeah, you, I mean, in a way, sometimes more than, than me. So, sure. <clears throat> I have not heard of that book. So tell me a little bit about it. But uh, it's a fascinating view. And, and, and Warren Farrell, you know, he says, hey, like, like he said, it's, I won't say it's a bad time to be a white middle aged dude, but. <laughs> You know, there's there's a lot of things, and and I do I I, I believe deeply in women's issues and you know, things like STEM and and you know it, it blows my mind that you know a hundred years ago or whatever just over you know women couldn't vote and things like that right. right I mean we need more women's brain power in the world as much as we can get we need as much men's brain power in the world as we can get uh, all brain power so I, I believe in you know equality and, and things like that. You know, we, you know, there's, there's things that, you know, it wasn't a level playing field for everybody all the time. And, and it's, it's better, but it still needs, it's still got a ways to go. Right. Um, was, but, but what they talk about specifically is, yeah, there's no white house counsel on how to help men because right. uh, everybody thinks it's just taken care of, but the stats are amazing. So, you know, like, and, and I shared you with, just before we started recording, College entrance 
uh, oh, yeah. students. Yeah. Only That's 40% crazy. of college attendees are men and 60% women. A couple of decades ago, that used to be reversed. In my mind, it should be about 50-50. You know, it should follow the, the, the population. But where this gets scary is, um, you know, men... Uh, are losing their purpose. And that's really the, the big point of it. Men have lost their purpose. Men's purpose used to be to provide and protect. Yeah. And now protection, there's fewer wars, there really is. I've never had to go out in front of my house and protect my family from somebody who's an intruder. So you still want to protect. That's I mean, COVID right now, you know. If, if we're walking downtown after a dinner and it's dark, yeah, you get that protection instinct like, hey, you know, I'm gonna I'm going to watch my family. But Really? I mean, how helpful is that? Uh, so men used to have their, their, um, their, their value and their, their purpose bestowed upon them by society with protection and provision. Yeah. And now with the divorce rates at 40 to 50 percent, depending on which at statistic least. you look at, now women are providing as much in, in many cases as men. So men are losing their purpose. And I think that's one of our jobs is, as fathers, Jeff, is we have to we have to help our boys find their purpose, and their purpose could be to be a good dad, right? I mean, probably your dad and my dad, they never had that conversation. Their their job was to go out and get a job, and take care of the family. Yeah. It wasn't to be a good dad. It wasn't to be close to your your sons and daughters. So you know we can help our kids find their purpose and say, you know what, it might not be full provision or protection. And that's why I think men are getting down. I think that's why men are med medicating in many different ways, Jeff, is because they're like, what the hell does it matter? What am I here for? Well, I think they're confused too, Jay. I'll give you an example. Uh, the recent trip I was on in the airplane is I was sitting with my son. You know, I'm trying to be a good role model to my son. You know, an older yeah. person's going through a door. I hold it. I say, hold it open for him. You know, I mean, yeah. the things that we do to help people take their you know, whatever we're helping them, take their garbage can out to the side of the road if they're an older person. So I'm on the airport, I'm on the airplane, and it landed, and people are kind of getting up like they always do to get their luggage. And this, this young lady, probably college age, was really struggling. She was, you know, height challenged. She wasn't very tall, and she couldn't get her bag. And there's people behind me, and, and it's getting to be kind of her turn. You know how it gets the anxiety. People want to, you know, hurry up and get out of there. Well, I just instinctively reached up to grab the bag and man, she just said, I got it. And she didn't literally say this, but this is what she, she meant. She said like, I got it. I don't need a man to help me. And I just, you know, I looked at my son, I kind of looked over and I thought, you know, my grandma would roll over in her grave. You know, my, my, my mom and dad would say, well, screw that person, grab that, help that person out. They obviously, someone's going to have to help me. She can't reach the bag. Someone put it up there in the first place. But just the fact that I got shot down like that, I'm 55, you know, I'm just doing the right thing, trying to help out. And this young female was just so anti-male. And I think that's the confusion element we have. Do we hold doors open for women anymore? Do we pay on a first date? Do we offer to pay? Like, I, you know, that's just, I wasn't trained that way. That's just the way things were when I grew up. And that's just, I still do that. And I'll do that till the day I die. And the next female that needs help, I'm going to open the door. And if they tell me to F off, then screw them. I mean, I'm not going to change because I think the majority of people are going to respect the fact and appreciate the fact that I would have done that for anybody, male, female, black, white, high, tall or short, doesn't matter. Right. But the fact that I got shot down was very disarming for me. I'm like, holy cow, what world do I live in? You know, well, I, and I think you you stated it earlier with your, you know, you can't control somebody else's thoughts. Right. That wasn't yeah. about Jeff. Right. son or anybody else trying to help her that was her right. something you know triggered her to say you know what uh you know maybe her dad abandoned her and she's like i gotta make it on my own this whole life without somebody well taking care of me right and so yeah you can't very, control it but it does lead yeah. to confusion but you're uh, the answer is help everybody you can hold doors lift luggage you know yeah um you know, do do all you can, and if somebody accepts it, that's that's their choice or not. Be be a good. I would have done the same citizen. thing for anybody. They were just short <laughs> and couldn't reach the bag. I didn't see a female. Right. I saw someone that was struggling to get the bag. So I think there's a lot of education here. I think on both sides of the fence. I think there's culpability to go around to everybody. Um, and uh, I think, like you said so eloquently, just just doing the right thing, being a good person. If somebody 
makes a comment, you have to say, well, maybe they just lost their job today. Yeah. You know, maybe they had to put their dog down an hour ago. Yeah. You know, we, we don't we don't know these things and maybe just give people the initial benefit of the doubt instead of the initial moment of anger. Right. And that's hard to do. Uh, but we've got to we've got to all be intentional about that. Yeah, that's a good word, intentional. So within your boot camp, you have mm-hmm. a 90 day program. So people come out of it. Boot camp would imply they come out, they go in rough around the edges, they come out, you know, stronger, and better. What happens after 90 days? I mean, what, what what's the mechanism for somebody to maintain what you taught them or demonstrated to them or shown them? Yeah. How do they keep doing that out of the 90 day boot camps? What's next for someone that comes through well, your system? You know how it is. And you're, you're seeing this. And what I admire about what you're doing with 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 your projects, Jeff, is you're 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 focused on prevention and intervention. Right. And then mm-hmm. I, I think you're also, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think you're also focused on what I'll call aftercare, right? If you do help mm-hmm. somebody, you're not just going to leave them there stranded, right? Um, right. And it, it's kind of the same with me. And I'm developed, like I said, I've got my corporate job. I'm in technology sales. But uh, uh, what I'm setting up is a monthly, uh, you know, like a webinar. People can can jump in. They can always send me questions and comments. I'm, I'm happy to do that. You know, a success for me is that they're they're much more self-sufficient, right? They're creating a tribe of their own. They're creating a group of men around them that is going to, you know, help guide them with best practices, with ideas. Hey, you know, I'm struggling with my marriage because of this. We just had a baby and I'm struggling because of that, right? Mm-hmm. We all have gone through those things and you just need a friend during those times. So one, they need to become, you know, encouraging them to become as self, self-sufficient as they can over time. But uh, going to set up a uh, monthly, you know, kind of webinar of a topic, right? Of, hey, right. here's something that's, that's you know, applicable to this point in time in history, right? Or, or maybe right. just a best practice, something that we should all talk about. Um, uh, do that, you know, take questions, you know, keep delivering content because it doesn't end. Yeah, it's just like right. college. The favorite question I've asked of the, uh, uh, the men that have gone through it before is, is this class more valuable than your college education? And nobody's ever answered no, because these are the things that are actually valuable, value, practical things that you can apply. It's not differential equations or calculus or molecular yeah. biology, right? Right. Um, it's like, yeah, that's that's making an impact on my day at home, which is most important to me. You said something that makes me think about my profession, the financial advisory uh, wealth management business, is that we talk to people all the time about you know, scenarios, you know, can you take 100,000 and put a pool in or can you take uh, 5,000 and go on a cruise? And we can take that information, put it in your financial plan and we can stress test it. We can see how it works. Well, if you don't have a financial plan, you're just winging it. Right. You you don't know if the $100,000 out of your IRA going into a pool is going to make you run out of money when you're 87. So you mentioned something that got me thinking about how I, for 32 years, have been presenting this financial plan to everybody. It's like, I can't even tell you where to invest your five, your $50,000 inheritance until I do a financial plan. It's, right. it's financial malpractice. Right. And so in your case, you talked about in our, our pre-interview conversation, you said giving men a playbook. And I love that. What, what, do you mean exactly what I use? Yeah, yeah it's like I mean, all these pieces interconnect, like you said. I mean, you know, um, there, there's, a, there's a, a, a belief or, you know, somebody said that the four most important things you can talk to your, your, um, uh, your partner about before you get married are, you know, finances. Do we agree on finances, right? Do we, do we agree on family? Do we want to have a family? How do we want a family? When do we want to adopt? You know, all those things. So finance this right. family. Uh, do we agree on crazy family members, right? Can we, <laughs> can we deal with the crazy uncle or nephew or, you know, in-laws, whatever? We're going to have to drive up to somebody's house for Thanksgiving someday. And can we both deal with that constructively together? That's the third thing. And the fourth thing is, Faith, do you believe in something bigger than yourself? So if you can yeah. align around those four things. So that's the playbook for the pre-marriage classes. You know, have intentional conversations around these four things before you get married. And it's going to wildly increase the chances of success in your marriage. So, yeah, I do think it is a playbook. It absolutely is. Because 
like how you deal with your spouse and finances. And Jeff, you've counseled more people than I have, right? Yeah. But um, if you don't agree on that, if one of you is a big spender and one of you is a big saver, I mean, and that, I mean, that's biblical from my faith. Uh, Jesus talks more about uh, money than he does about heaven because he understands that's a worldly problem. And if you can't get that really settled and peaceful in your marriage, it's not going to work. And you're just going to grind on each other for years. Yeah, I like the, the thought process of piecemealing this down. Yeah. You think of, well, you know, for me, I, I keep going back to me because that's the only science experiment I have is mine, is what's kept me going isn't one thing. Right. It, it's, it's many things. And I equate it to having a, a quiver on your back with arrows, and you're just trying to figure out what are the things that keep you going. And, and a lot of it's learning. You know, being in a constant stage of challenging closely held convictions that you have. And it could be on any topic. It could be, do you think alcohol is a disease or a choice? And let's say your whole life you've been a disease model proponent. You know, well, my dad was an alcoholic. My brothers are. My grandpa, my cat, my dog. Thus, I must be an alcoholic. Just, just it makes sense, right? And that's the way a lot of people that believe addictions and substance abuse, they, they, just, they just kind of... They give up in going any further. They stop right there. And I'm challenging people. And initially when I went down this road, I thought it was a disease too for my whole life until my son and my wife died of drugs and alcohol. And I realized in the middle of it, in the trenches, how many poor choices were made, how many times they had an opportunity that they just decided for whatever reason that they didn't. And I had the same choices. I, I was an alcoholic too at one point, but I found a way to quit. So. I'm not special. I don't have a. I don't have any special relationship with anybody. I'm. I'm no less or more human than Jay Millar. Yet, how did I? How did I find this way? You know, I, I got this little thing I like to say is when you when you find your why, you'll find your way. And yep. my why was to honor. Well, started off honoring my son. And what's the best way I can do to honor my son? Well, I wrote them all down and I crossed them off the list. And then when my wife died, I'm going through the same process. You know, what are the best ways I can honor her now simultaneously with my son? What would they want me to do? You know, and so I, I love your program. I love I love um, what Millennial Manhood's done. I love this emphasis on men because, you know, I can't we can't change who we are, uh, although maybe today it's easier to change who you are with with the way that you um, medicine is and technology, but the reality is, you know, I'm a male in, in, a, in a world that there's a lot of pressure on us to, to produce um, and to protect, like you said, so, so perfectly. So what's next for men? I mean, what's the next five, 10, 20 years look like if the statistics are not really getting any better and we've identified some causes, you know, it could be addiction, mental health, it could be COVID, whatever. How do we get these statistics to start going in the, in a better favor. So at the end of the day, men like us, younger and older can have a more enjoyable life. I mean, isn't that really what this is all about? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it is. And the good news is Jeff, it's not taboo to talk about these things, right? Mm -hmm. But we still need to get men to talk about them because a lot of time there's just the shame of, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to appear like I don't know what's going on. Right. So that's where I think, uh, you asked about the program, so I, uh, I have a yeah. do-it-yourself. I have a cohort, and I think that's the best and the most fun and the most productive is get a group of men going through in a co cohort, like you know, twenty-five uh, men, and you you uh, broadcast live, and then they they talk amongst themselves, right? Hey, you know, yeah, I mean, what Jay said is 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 good and fine, and and uh, we can learn from that. But you know, I need to apply this to my life. And when you're sitting shoulder to shoulder with another man trying to figure out life, you can really make a lot of progress in the best possible way. And then the one-on-one -on -one coaching. But I think you know, one, we got to talk about it, so we raise awareness. And again, you're on the prevention side, and you wish all of your preventative measures worked. I wish I could talk to every 23-year-old and say, hey, you know what? Relax. I'll give you a playbook for life. You can have a lot of right. a lot of confidence, and and I I won't I can't guarantee it's going to work out. But man, your chances of success are going to be uh, it's not binary, yes or no. It's going to they're going to increase into the you know high eighties ninety percent that you're going to be successful. 
right? I'm so happy you said that, Jay, because in our industry, we use what's called a Monte Carlo simulation and we run a thousand trials. So let's say you come in my office and you're at a 60-40 model portfolio and at retirement at 60, you need 10,000 a month. So I run that 60-40 model in the Monte Carlo simulation with the assets you have, the expenses, and we run a prop, what's called a probability of success. And it's awesome because you can have clients sitting in the office looking up at the screen and there is a number. It says you have a 92% probability of success based on the data we input in the computer. And that gives people something to walk out with a sense of confidence. Yeah. And I think you, you talked about, you know, increasing our, our success rates, you know, increasing the well-being in, in your life. And there is no guarantee, as you said, there, there, there's no guarantee that a meteor isn't going to hit there tomorrow. So I think we look for guarantees. We look for a quick pill. We look for something to extinguish the fire or whatever's burning inside of us that could be bad. But I'm more of like, you know what? There is not a magic pill. There's not a magic potion. There's no seminar you sign up for and you come out, all everything's fixed. It's a matter of increasing your probability of success. And that goes by not drinking alcohol excessively, good diet, exercise, meditation, going to church, you know, whatever you need to do. So at the end of the day, that computer model comes back and says, guess what, Jay, your life, well-being, quality of life is 97% if you continue what you're doing. Yeah. And that's all, that's all we're trying to do, right? Yep. Yeah. And, and, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. The only guarantee I make is if you don't like the program, I'll give you your money back. Or if you don't find value in it, I'll give you your money back. But uh, I bet that hasn't happened a whole lot. Uh, no, it hasn't. Well, knock on wood. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, how can we change the conversation with men? I think awareness. I think men linking arms together in a, in a better and more intentional way. And I think we have to open up conversations. Here's an example. And this is from the book, The Boy Crisis, again. So I'll go back to that. They said, imagine a conversation uh, between a husband and wife and you, uh, you find out you're pregnant, right? You're going to have a child. What does that conversation go like? Here's what it goes like for 98% of couples right now. Um, what are dad's options? Or let, let, no, let's talk about mom's options first. She can stop working. She can work part time and, you know, maybe get supplemental with uh, help with grandma or a neighbor or something like that to help the kid. Or uh, she can keep working full time and put the child in daycare. What is the what do the options look like for the dad? Work, work, work. You know, we do have stay at home dads, but it's still not. You know, fully comfortable in society. I would, I would, I would suppose. You know, I would, I would project. Yeah. But it's 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 not fully comfortable. And and in other um, one of the reasons that you know they say men at age fifty are twice as likely to die as a woman at the same age. That's the highest rate since World War Two, Jeff. And the reason are that men are still in very dangerous jobs. You know, uh, truck driving, uh, mining. Yeah. You know, all these other things where there's there's actual death with jobs. And things like that. So, um, you know, I think uh, there's, you know, men being nurses, we've got meet the Fockers, right? <laughs> you know, with yeah. Gaylord, right? I mean, that was yeah. a societal funny thing. But we should think that, man, it's it's great. We need more men. We need more men elementary school teachers. We need more men in yeah. nursing fields. We need more men in yeah. all these other that were kind of taboo fields for, for professions. And it goes back to that provision and that purpose. You know, we're providing for our families and we're providing purpose. Um, we've just got to open our minds and have different conversations, I think, for men over the next over the next decade or two, because there's so many opportunities to fill the gap that uh, we're not we're not really considering today. Do you think this goes in conjunction with. OK, so let me refer, let me reframe this. So you've identified an obvious need that men need to be vulnerable. Men need to get in a circle, hold hands, cry, hug, talk, get this worked out. But then we go home and we're married to our wives uh, most of the times. Okay, where where do we bring in the conversation so the men and the wives, the husband and wives, are having the same vulnerable, deep, meaningful conversations in addition to a group, a circle of men? Because at the end of the day, you and I can hash things out, but I got to go home to my wife, and she didn't, she wasn't there to hear any of the conversations I had. Yeah. So I got to resell it to somebody who's 
you know, and this will sound sexist, but someone who's doing the dishes, doing the laundry, picking up the kids from school, you know, I got to resell this great vision I have to fix men. But they're like, hey, I, I just don't have time right now. You know, so it's like, where do you pull your wife down and sit down and say, hey, honey, I've been talking to men all day. I, I know how men feel, but I need to get this information to you so our marriage can strengthen. No different than you go and talking to a group of women and you come home to me and I'm like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the results of a conversation with 20 women, you know, yeah. right? It, it's actually funny you say that. Actually, the, the strongest response, I put an ad, I put a, uh, a comment up on Facebook and it was a group of 100,000 um, of uh, kind of business leaders. And I got over 500 responses and wow. saying, hey, I'm, I'm launching this. I'm doing this, my virtual dad. I would say 80% were from women, Jeff, that huh. said, Wow, the world that's awesome. Needs, that's awesome. The, the world needs this, or you know what? Yep. My husband's been struggling, or I'm a single mom, and I've got a I've got a college age son, and you know, want to want to help him. So women are aware of it, and I think uh, you know it's a good question. I don't have the answer. I've I've been part of men's groups for twenty plus years. Meet Friday morning, six thirty a.m. with you know six guys, and we just talk about life. We read a we read a book. A secular book or a, a book in the Bible. We read something and we try. We 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 read uh, Lone Survivor and you know how does we 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 added value to our lives by just talking about something uh, of going through life and trials and tribulations. The best example I've seen because is uh, through finance and uh, it's the Dave Ramsey. I don't know if you've seen the Financial Peace University class. I recommend that. I'm familiar with it. Yeah, and, and I think he does just a wonderful job of saying, hey, there's two types of personalities in a relationship, uh, the nerd and the free spirit. The nerd has to have, you know, the checkbook balance to the penny, know where everything is at the exact moment of time. And then there's the free spirit that wants to go uh, spend. And he says almost every marriage has, you know, one of those two. It's not it's rarely two nerds or two free spirits. Right. And um, he just talks, you know, be graceful with each other, you know. The free spirit will help the nerd get out of their spreadsheet and live life and enjoy life, right? Mm -hmm. And the nerd will help the free spirit from running into a ditch. So you're both really helpful to each other. And I think that's the way all marriages are. I'm not painting a broad brush about who's the nerd or who's the free spirit. But um, at the end of well, the day... I would day, say not just marriages, Jay. I would say successful businesses. Exactly. I would say organizations, nonprofit. Or I mean, you, you can't have all people that are like-minded on a board and make it work. And, uh, you know, with prioritizing family, I mean, we talk about it, you know, the priority in your family is your marriage. If there's yeah. a happy marriage, it's not let's dote over the kids and make the kids the center of our family. That blows up every time. If, if your wife knows that she's valued and loved and cared for, and then your kids see that, they're going to flourish. They're going to be able to run around with great. Yeah. And I remember I just told you the, about the story of the, the, the night that my dad's last night in my home. Yeah, that's traumatic. I did not feel safe. I did not I feel like I was going to. But if if I had seen a loving, caring marriage, man, I'm going to go fail and make mistakes. I'm going to have successes. I'm going to, you know, um, I'm going to feel safe and I'm going to I'm going to flourish in that environment. So, no, again, these are it's just kind of like nutrition and, and your financial advice that you give. You can't capsulize it in a five word tweet to make everybody right. feel better. Right. Principles are easy. It's 20% head knowledge and 80% behavior. Yeah. I mean, there's so many moving parts to increasing well-being in marriages, relationships. Um, you know, in my case, I'm, I'm widowed, you know, so how do I increase my well-being? I don't have a spouse to go talk to like you do, you know. Um, but I do have people I talk to. I yeah. talk to you. I talk to other guests. I talk to people that I'm building this tour next summer. That the Living Undetoured tour that we're doing next summer, going around the country for three or four months in an RV. You know, raising awareness and money. So I've replaced the spouse relationship. You know, the connectivity you have with the spouse with other people. So I found I found a way to I guess evolve is a word I like to use. I found a way to evolve. I'm a creature of evolution. Again, we'll leave it at that. But but I mean, I'm I'm willing to say, okay, I can sit at home and I could just sulk and say I miss my wife and I do dearly. Married 21 years, 
I miss my son Seth dearly. I could replace those gaps, those voids in my life with alcohol, cocaine, drugs, gambling, sex, whatever I want to replace it with. But I choose voluntarily within myself to not do that. So what's the lesson in all this? There's a tremendous amount of lesson here that I'm trying to get out to talk to people and taking your projects and your story, using the platform I developed Living on the Tour to give you an opportunity to talk about your 90 day program, you're, you're my virtual dad, you know, to add an arrow in the quiver to help those people watching this show today that say, well, I don't believe a lot what Jeff's saying, but you know what? There's some things Jay's saying that I can add two arrows to my quiver. Yep. But I like, I like maybe one that Jeff said, and then, then the next podcast they go listen to or the next book they read. So I think that's the, the motivation for me is to keep learning. You know, I, if I think right now I have the answers, I have far like you, I have far more far more questions on everything in life than I do answers. Yeah, you know, hundred to one. You know, for every answer I have, I have, have ninety nine questions. You know, it's like, and that's the way you should live. You know, I don't think I want to be at fifty five to feel like I know everything, and yeah. then I start dying. Right. I agree. I mean, I think. Are you familiar? I mean, with the military services, have you ever heard of like the. Uh, uh, the Navy reading list or the, the Marines reading list or the Army reading list? I've heard of it, but I'm not, I, I couldn't quote it to you. Well, here, so what they do is, is you get to different ranks. They have a reading list so that you can learn. You can read like, you know, about Rommel. You know, if you're a tank commander, you can read about, you know, how Rommel ran some battles and, and things like uh -huh. that. You can read about other uh, U.S. generals or other foreign uh, military leaders. The reason they do that, so as you get to each rank, as you get to, you know, uh, if you're an officer from from lieutenant to captain to colonel to, you know, uh, getting up to general and things like that, you have to read more and more because if you don't, uh, I think General uh, Mattis said this, and he was uh, uh, he, he was a defense secretary for Trump for a little while, and he's 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 he's, he's really he wrote a book, uh, Call Sign Chaos. Um, mm. He's like, if you don't do that, you're going to fill body bags with soldiers because you didn't take the time to learn, right? Mm -hmm. And and so military has these reading lists, and that's the my virtual dad. I have a I have a reading list of fifty books. You're like, hey, you go, oh, wow. you, you say, I want to uh, I want to get better as a husband, father, provider. You walk into uh, Amazon.com or Barnes and Noble or wherever, and you're like, okay, where do I start, right? So I've curated a list of like fifty assets to say, hey, this will get you off to a fast start. Are these the only things? Absolutely not. Right. Jeff right. would have a different list of 50 than I would. But right. again, if you are just if you don't even know the questions to ask, it's a good place to start and you can get going and you can have a high level, high degree of success by starting down this path and using this playbook. Well, we're at an, we're a little over an hour, so I want to put a bow tie on this, but I Let's want to say it. that I think you've come up with a, you know, a, a need. You've identified a need. And you've come up with some solutions and you are, it looks like you're adding new things continuously and trying to give men more arrows in the quiver that they can have lower divorce rates. They can have lower suicide rates. I have a, a guest coming on soon. that's going to talk about veteran suicide, you know, mm. about the post-traumatic stress and yeah. all the, all the, all the things that go on with a veteran that, goes to war is programmed to yeah. think away wow. you know to, to yeah. yeah and then they come back and it's like okay go back to the real world and then just figure out this on your own you know and I'm not in die I have no military background so maybe this is pretty naive but it seems to me that a lot of the issues stem from an abandonment of the veteran when they come back to the United States yeah. no matter what the war we were in or sometimes we're not most times we're not even in a war but just the trauma and the and the grief and the, you know, that's almost like a deprogramming from a cult in a way when they get back. Yeah. And I understand why they do that. You don't want to be in a foxhole with someone who's scared. I get that. You want to be fighting. I want to be fighting with you. If you're going to take a bullet for me, I'm going to take a bullet for you. I, I certainly get that. And and there's no really, you know, upside in 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 in, um, in dissecting that negatively because you need to have everyone on the same boat literally when they're when they're at war. But Boy, they come back and it just it just unravels, and you get these men and women too. Heck, it's not it's not inclusive to men, 
I, f- I feel really like that's an opportunity in my on my living on the tour tour to meet some men that are heavy in the veteran space give yeah. them a platform to speak because that's sad to see the way we treat our veterans today from healthcare to opportunities mm-hmm. to the stigmas that go with oh you got you got PTSD I don't want anything to do with you you know well maybe your son has PTSD maybe your neighbor has PTSD it's not it's not unique to or owned by military you know we all I have PTSD losing a child the day my son died mm-hmm. you're not telling me that wasn't traumatic yeah you know I don't know what else is more traumatic maybe seeing my son die but then you're splitting hairs yeah. you know so anyway I think I applaud you what you're doing I think there's certainly a need out there you're 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 trying to fill so in the last few seconds how do people reach you what's the best way to reach you and how can people get involved with your my virtual dad and the 90-day boot camp uh, you can go out to myvirtualdad.net and uh, or send me an email at j at myvirtualdad.net. So it's pretty easy to get a hold of me. What's the next step for you? What, what what's your next project you're working on in a, in a nutshell here? Uh, I'm continuing to add to it. Like I said, I'm dissecting it and breaking it down. I'm trying to meet the 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 men where they're at. And again, I'm not against women, but um, like I said, doing a pre-marriage boot camp. I'm glad you mentioned military because I'm meeting with some. Uh, uh, a military base next week that is uh, has a program to help transition uh, men and women out of the military and into the into the civilian world. And they've got you know some job uh, job advice, uh, career advice, a uh, little bit of financial advice. But I think that'd be a good way to plug in for aftercare. I'm also reaching out to universities and colleges uh, with their athletic programs. Right? What does the NCAA say? Ninety eight percent of their athletes do not go pro. And they've had it's it's much like the military where it's a cult in a sense that you have an itinerary. You're told what to wear every yeah. day, where to train, what to do, what to yeah. eat, and and going out into the real the real world is is a bit scary. So trying to give them a playbook and the tools necessary to be successful. And again, I'm catering it to men because I think men are in such grave danger with with the suicide rates and, and, uh, and, you know, trying to get jobs and career and purpose, I'm really catering it to men. I, a lot of people ask, would this be appropriate for women? Women could take this course just as much as men, but I have a heart for that, uh, heart for men. So, um, that's where I'm trying to focus is help make men more successful because I, I think they are in, in really big danger right now. Well, I very much appreciate your insight today. And, um, I will definitely, follow up with you on all the social media platforms, but keep continuing with your passion and your goal of, of trying to make, you know, make this a better place for us all to live, you know, not just not just men, because, you know, there's collateral relationships involved. Uh, you know, when, when my son died, it wasn't just me or and my boys mm-hmm. and my wife that were affected. It was uncles and nieces and, and basketball teammates and, you know, just friends that he, he did things with. And so there's that, that collateral damage uh, effect when it comes to strengthening, you know, whether it's just men or just women or whatever. So I, I appreciate what you're doing. It's an honor to talk to you. Uh, and with that, we will wrap up the Living on the Turd podcast. And like I like to end every show, you can like us on Spotify and all the different modes, YouTube, subscribe to us. Uh, but if you're interested in seeing everything in one place, just go to livingundeterred.com. You can also click on the Living Undeterred. Yes, that's a play on Undeterred. The Living Undeterred U.S. Tour. You can get involved in partnering as a partner state. You can get involved as sponsoring. You can volunteer. We're looking for employees. So we're trying to get this, this, uh, this, this thing built. And so next summer when we take off in the RV, We can go around and meet people like Jay, people trying to make a difference and hopefully raise a lot of money and awareness in doing so. So with that, I'll love you like a brother, man. Thanks for being on the show and uh, we'll stay in touch. Okay. Keep living undeterred, man. Thank you, Jeff.